The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Amen. Father in heaven, we gather as your people together today to give all honor and glory and praise to you. We thank you for being our God, for creating us that we might give glory to you. We pray that in this day of worship, this special Sabbath that you have set aside and called us to honor, that we would see and behold and enjoy the beauty of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would lift up our hearts, that we might sing praises to you. We pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that all that we do this morning in this service of worship would be for your glory alone and no other. And we pray, Lord, that you would be in our midst, that you would encourage and uplift our hearts, bind up what is broken in us, cause us to rejoice in the beauty of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us of your presence and the cleansing that we have in Christ, that his precious blood was poured out, that we might be made your children. Rejoice us with your singing over us. And Lord, we join our voices now and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray out loud, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. If you'd like to turn there, it's in the hymnal on page 845. I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now. Uh, take the insert from your bulletin. We're going to sing together. I have a message from the Lord.
You may be seated, and the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. <laughs> And you all are welcome to stay. Children of all ages are welcome for the children's sermon. Come on, guys and gals. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. Good morning. Come on in. We'll scooch in. This is wonderful. Well, Boys and girls, I wanted to start a new children's sermon series with you, and over the next few uh, weeks, maybe a month, we're going to be talking about a special word in the Bible, and I wanted to, uh, to ask you to think about this, and maybe even uh, through this week, I want you to look up verses in the Bible, maybe ask mom and dad to help, and I want to see if you can share, maybe over the next few weeks, we'll do one or two each Sunday, if you don't mind, look up the word honor in the Bible. And I want you to maybe write the verse down on a card and bring it with you, and I'll be happy to read it on Sunday morning. But I want to begin this morning talking about the word honor from the Bible. And there are lots of places where you read it. If you begin to look for it, it seems to pop up everywhere. But does anybody know what the word honor means in the Bible? Honor your parents. Honor your parents. Does anybody know what commandment that is? Um, you remember what number it is? One, two, three, four. It's number five. Number five. Yeah, number five. Honor your father and mother. That's the, the fifth commandment. But in the Bible, the word honor, and really in, in our society, it might be a word that seems a bit ancient, but in the Bible, the word honor means to esteem something, to notice the value of it. And even as you think about one another, the Bible says we're to honor each other. To honor someone means to enhance or, or make bright and beautiful their, someone's reputation. So when you honor someone, you, you recognize their dignity. Uh, you recognize their worth. So let me ask you, who do you think um, are there kinds of people we should honor in the church? Yes? The pastor. The pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that answer. Yes. The elders. The elders. The elders and the deacons. The elders and the deacons. Who else? What about, yes? Everybody. Everybody. What about everyone? Everyone. And so this is maybe the first one to talk about, guys. Why do we honor everyone? Whose image were they made in? God's image. Every person that you see, no matter their, their strengths, their weaknesses, whether they're really tall or short, um, it doesn't matter. No matter what their skin color, their age, uh, whether they're really smart or whether they're really creative, whether they're good at speaking or really shy, everyone is to be honored because they were made in God's image. And who made them? God made them. So when you honor someone, not only are you honoring that person, but who else are you honoring? God, because he made them. So I wanted to share the first one with you this morning. And this is from the book of Leviticus. And you might be a bit surprised that I found one there. But in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 32, it says that when you are in a room and an older man walks in the room with gray hair, 
you are to stand in his presence, to honor him. And then right after that part, it says, and fear the Lord. Honor him and fear the Lord. So, young men, if you come to Bible study tomorrow night, maybe practice that one. If a man with gray hair walks in the room, you stand up out of your seat and you shake his hand. And we do that to honor that person. But also the second half of that verse says, fearing the Lord. Because God made that man in his image. But also because older folks are to receive honor from younger folks. That is the way it is supposed to be in God's world that he made and everything in this world might tell you older folks aren't supposed to be honored. They're supposed to be put away. They're, they're, they're different. They're not as strong or quick or fast anymore. But in the, in the body of Christ, we are to esteem and honor and love them. So I want to pray for you this morning and pray as you search your Bibles this week. Find a verse on honor. Bring it with you. We're going to be looking at these over the next few weeks, okay? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word that is rich in wisdom for your people. And I pray for our covenant children this week as they study their Bibles, as they search to find verses that speak about your commands to honor one another, that you would build up their hearts in faith as they study your word, that they would hide it in their hearts as they think about those who are older in our congregation or in their families, that they would honor because they love you. And because to honor someone else is to honor you. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a congregation to do this. That we would outdo one another, as Paul says, in showing honor to one another. Thank you, Lord, that, that you give us these commands that we might see and behold your beauty and your goodness. And I pray for our covenant children, Lord, that you would guide them in this new year in faith and love of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, we're going to read Psalm 25 together. It's on page 792 in your hymnal. If you would please turn there. And as we get ready to read this, parents, thank you for indulging me as I gave the children something to search for in their Bibles this week. I pray that this will be a good, hearty discussion over these next few weeks as we think about what the word honor means in the scriptures. Our responsive reading of Psalm 25, beginning on page 792. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Good and upright is the Lord. 
Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Look upon my afflictions and my distress, and take away all my sins. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Altogether, let's finish. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Amen. Let's stand together and turn to hymn number 347 as we sing together the church's one foundation.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray for our public schools and also our public school teachers. Uh, there are some even in our midst here, and it is a privilege and an honor to pray for our school-aged children that the Lord would protect them in the schools and also that He would watch over and protect our teachers and those who are in our midst who are administrators, that the Lord would give them great courage and great encouragement to be a light for the gospel in a dark place. And it's hard to imagine that a public school could be a dark place, but it is. And it is a privilege to be able to pray this morning. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we may boldly come into your presence as we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. That we may come into your presence expecting that you will pour out grace and mercy upon us. Because of your precious son Jesus and the blood that he spilled on the cross. Enduring the wrath of God for the sins of his people. We come not on our own merits. Or because of our good intentions, our good names, or because we are Presbyterians. We come into your presence because of him and him alone and his righteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that we may lift up our hearts to you, that we may offer to you our petitions and our requests. And we humbly ask, Lord, that you would pour out your grace and your spirit upon us as we wait for you to answer. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage dear saints in this room this morning and those who are at home who wait upon you as humble servants who know that your timing and your providence is best, as they wait upon you for answers to prayer, for relief from physical pain, for you to move in their relationships or in their finances or even in their employment. Lord, I pray that you would encourage all of your people to know that it is you who hear our prayers and it is you who answer, and that you promise to pour out grace and mercy upon us that we might endure the trials that you have brought into our lives. And we thank you, Lord. And we remember this morning as we gather as your people, the church, that nothing comes into our lives except through your hands. And though we may not understand why certain trials come, we may rejoice that they come from you, that you would make us more like your precious son, Jesus. Lord, help us as we suffer in, under the weight of affliction that we would remember that, that things that happen in our lives are not chance circumstances. They are things that you bring into our lives, even the difficult things and even the, the good things. They're not things that we create. They're not things that we can pull to ourselves. They are from your hand. And Lord, I lift up to you and we lift up to you our teachers and our administrators, those who work in the public schools here in Fairfield County and other counties around us. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit and your strength to be a light and a witness for the gospel, that they would have an extra measure of patience as they communicate with others, as they work with colleagues, as they deal sometimes with students who are unruly. Lord, give them a heart of compassion as they think about the homes that these children live in, that in some cases it is not a, a good place. And in a lot of cases there are needs that are deep, that run deep in their families, deep in their own hearts, and that as, as children they're growing up in a world very different than maybe some of us have. Lord, I pray that you would bless our administrators, that you would give them great wisdom as they make decisions. Give them discretion as they think about what it means to decide things that will impact not only students, but families and teachers and other administrators. Lord, we pray for the protection of our children, 
Children in schools who are meant to be there to learn and to learn skills for life. I pray, Lord, for your protection over them. And Lord, we do on this day also, gathered as your people, lift up those who are in our government, in our state and local government, in our federal government. We pray for our president, for our Congress, for every member and every level of leadership, that they would serve you with the decisions they make. Lord, we thank you for who you have put in office. We thank you that we may look to you as the one who sets up governments and sets them down. Help us, Lord, to look to you even in the midst of what might seem uncertain and difficult. And may we trust in you as your people. Lord, we pray as we come to your word in a few moments that you would open up our hearts and our minds, clear whatever could be distracting from our memories and from our minds, that we might see and behold beautiful things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Amos, chapter 5. This morning we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Amos, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. Hear this word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Gilgal, nor enter Bethel, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. This morning we are continuing our series, Prepare to Meet Your God, in the Old Testament book of Amos. The prophet Amos preaches a, a message this morning, and the sermon is entitled, A Lament for Israel. As a reminder, if you may not remember, Amos was a sheep herder and a tender of sycamore fig trees. And he was called by God out of the fields to prophesy against the people of Israel, against God's chosen people. Some may have called him unqualified and maybe even dismissed him. Well, you're a farmer. What do you know about what's happening in our land? What do you know about what the living God would say to us? Others may have said, you are absolutely unwelcome here, Amos, because you are an outsider. After all, you are from Judah, and we live here in the land of Israel, God's chosen people. But God had fit him for this task, and he called him to it. So let's jump right into the text this morning. I want to do so under three headings briefly. First, the tone of Amos' message. Number two, three reasons that God's judgment was coming upon the people of Israel. And lastly, number three, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. So number one, the tone of Amos' message, it was of lament. He says very clearly in verse one that he is speaking a lamentation that he takes up against Israel. It was like a funeral song or a dirge that you've heard, there was a haunting sound to it. It was sorrowful and filled with pain. The sorrow was linked to the divine judgment that was about to take place. God had given Amos a message, and it was not a cheerful one. It was one of devastation, as when Jesus wept over Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. It says, if you had known the things that made for peace, it was a difficult message. For Amos to preach. And it was a hard and difficult message for the people of God to hear. When they heard these words about desolation and, and the desecration of their land and of their holy places, I imagine that many of them said, Desolation? Coming from where? Look at our prosperity, look at our military, look at our wealth, look at our homes. How could we possibly be people who will see desolation and devastation in our day? Amos, you might have a message from God, but it's not for us. They were unwilling to hear what he had to say. 
But the tone of his message also includes, going along the theme of music, there is also a harmony to it. Amos lamented the sins of his brethren for what it meant. But he also exalted the justice of God in the message that he preached. He exalted the God who would give mercy to those who cried out to him, but also exalted the God who would judge those who turned away from him in unbelief and sin. It's not that Amos thinks God is a hard-nosed, unfeeling, indifferent sovereign just waiting to zap people and pour out wrath upon them. And neither should we think this way about God. Is God hasty or unkind in his judgment? Is he unjust in the way that he disciplines his children? Is he unjust when he pours out wrath upon people? Consider God's patience. In the Old Testament alone, in the book of Genesis, it says in chapter 7, verse 16, that God waited 120 years before he closed the door on the ark. 120 years. Several generations of people saw that ark being built. And they heard the message that was spoken. And the world was wiped away, except for Noah and his family and the animals that God directed into that ark. Was God hasty and unkind in his judgment? Or did he do what he promised? Did he uphold righteousness and justice? So the tone of his message. It's a tone of lament, but it's a tone of harmony too. Amos exalts the glory and the justice of God in the message that he preached. Difficult though it was. Three reasons that God's judgment was coming upon the people of God. I want to give you three reasons why they were senseless. And I mean in the, in the terms of hearing and seeing and understanding and touching in the senses. They were senseless to what was going on in their own hearts. What was happening around them in their own day. Three reasons why. Number one, because of spiritual death among them. The people got so used to the stench that they could no longer smell the rot around them. Have you ever opened the trash can and thought, this needs to leave the house right now? <laughs> it's got to go. And then every time you walk by it and think, oh, I'll do it in a moment. And then you open it and it welcomes you again. It is offensive to your nose. They had gotten used to the smell of spiritual death around them. It says in verse 4 and 5, God told them, seek me and live. But then he warns them, don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal, and don't go to Beersheba. They had become so devoted to these places, these places of spiritual significance, they were devoted to them, to the idea of what God did, but not to God himself. These places were significant because in Israel's past, God had shown himself. He had revealed himself to his people. He had shown his strength in salvation, in delivering them, and his great power to save them. But Israel was devoted to what the places offered to them, the blessing and the favor that God gave them. But they were not interested in being devoted to the nearness of the God who drew near to them. Imagine... Peter, when he spoke up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was just after Jesus had said, everyone must take up their cross and follow me. And in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, as they get onto the mountain 
And it says that Jesus' clothes shone bright and white and his face was radiant with glory. Peter spoke up and said, Lord, this is a good place to be. Let's stay here. I will build tents and you and we will stay here. We are so easily enraptured with thoughts of this is the place and we should stay. Let's not go back down there where those people are. Let's stay on the mountain, Jesus. They were used to spiritual death in Israel. It was spiritless. Even as you think about those holy places, Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba, the skeletal structure of worship was present. They did songs. They did prayers. People attended. It's not that these places were empty when God's people gathered. There were people in the room. But they were pleased with the place. And they congratulated themselves that they were the people of this place. That they were the right ones. And the people who, who were in the know, the people who had reputation, were ones who liked it. And it was wonderful that those people were there in the place. They seemed to have life. It seemed like there was energy. But there was no exaltation of God in their worship. And you can see this clearly in the way that they chose to bring in idol, idols from every part of the world at that time. They were content to bring in whatever they wanted into God's presence. They got used to labeling worship what they liked and what felt comfortable. What should have been for them a reminder of God's covenant goodness. Of stair steps on the way to heaven ended up becoming slippery slopes on the way to hell for them. They should have been stair steps to heaven, but they became a slippery slope on the way to hell. They stopped hearing about God's holiness. They stopped hearing about the sinfulness of man. The message that they heard must have been so comfortable. Ooh, we like this. I like how he speaks. I like what it sounds like. I feel good when I hear these messages. <coughs> They got so used to hearing things good about themselves that they forgot what it was to hear of the holiness of God and our sinfulness before Him and our responsibility before this holy God. So that's the first one. Three reasons God's judgment was coming. The second is the illusion of permanence. They were self-deceived into thinking, surely we're safe. Surely we can't be moved. Who are, look at us, who we are and what we have. Look at our strengths and our abilities. Look at the blessings that God has given us. Surely the riches we have are an evidence of the way that He is approving of who we are and how we live. They had an illusion of permanence. They believed themselves to be untouchable. We're out of reach from our enemies. We're the city that's set on a hill after all. We're above the law. When you begin to think that, you are in a dangerous place. Believing lies. Believing exactly what the enemy would have you to believe. That because I have these blessings, because my adherence to the, because I have these, my adherence to the standard of righteousness in the Bible can lessen. I have now reached a plateau and those things that were part of my beginning of walking in faith I may now set aside because look where God has brought me. Those standards must no longer apply to me. And actually in the Bible, it's the exact opposite. 
that those who receive great blessing are responsible for a much greater degree of obedience and humility before the Lord. Our sin nature tells us exactly opposite of what God's word tells us. And apart from his grace, we believe these lies. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, it says that for those who believe that God would not come in judgment, he will come as a thief. And that's promised again in the book of Revelation chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No people, no nation, no individual is permanent. Thomas Jefferson wrote in his notes on the state of Virginia, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I think that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever, that considering numbers, nature, and natural means only, a revolution of the wheel of fortune, an exchange of situation is among possible events, that it may become probable by supernatural interference. What Thomas Jefferson was saying is that God is a God of justice and one day he will call to account for all of the blessings that he has poured out upon us. And what he was saying, Thomas Jefferson, so many years ago, that it's possible even for a great nation like the United States to experience the judgment of God. We are not permanent brothers and sisters. There may be a time when we do endure great suffering. And I believe that that is one of the ways that God reveals his people. Through suffering. We think if we have the blessings and we have, we have uh, the riches and homes and cars and all the good things that this must be the way God displays his favor on people. And yet what reveals what is in your heart is not receiving those things but going through the fiery furnace of trials. That reveals whether you are spiritual or not. Do I trust the Lord? It's easy to trust Him when you have everything. It is hard to trust when you are hurting and missing what you had. Israel was about to receive judgment from the living God and they wouldn't even listen to Amos' message. So number one, the reasons God was bringing judgment upon them, spiritual death. Number two, the, the illusion of permanence. And number three, the delusion of empty profession of faith. Their faith was simply words that you say. They had lost all idea of the hope of resting in prayer, waiting upon the Lord. Their hope was in feelings and things that you say. They had hope in right doctrine. Well, we're the Presbyterians after all. How could God move us? We have the right doctrine. We believe the right things. But hear these words that God says to them. These people who have the right doctrine, who are called the favored people, listen to the way that they live. They hate, the. this is verse 10, they hate the one who rebukes in the gate and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses hewn of stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgression 
and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from the justice at the gate. And the times are so bad. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at this time, for it is an evil time. So those who do have wisdom don't even speak, either because they know that there's no point in speaking, no one will listen, or they have been so ground into bits by those who are in power that they don't have the strength to even say, this is wrong. We shouldn't live like this. If this is the way blessing from God looks in people's lives, no wonder judgment is coming. If these are the chosen people, and this is how they treat each other, they don't need any enemies. Beware of having an orthodox religious profession, but a heart that is overrun with rampant desire for things. The world tells you that accumulating things and wealth is the way that you see wonder and have a great life. That is the way that you experience joy and happiness. And yet that goes against everything in the scriptures. If you have not love, that is a measure. If you do not love one another, if you have just so that you have, so you can accumulate to yourself and congratulate yourself on your wealth and your great abilities to be able to keep things and are unwilling to share with those around you and give justice and take care of the poor, then there is something really broken in your heart. In Revelation chapter 3, the Lord Jesus said these words to a church. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. Those were God's words through the Lord Jesus Christ to a church, much less a nation. There is among God's people, and even in this world today, a damning delusion of religious profession which leaves our lives completely unchanged. It is not that these people didn't know the biblical principles, instructions, and dictates of God's law. They went to the holy places year after year. They knew the stories of God's redemption. They had been passed down from one generation to the next, and they even gloried in them with a great, swelling, patriotic pride. We are God's people. But when it came to their personal responsibility of obedience before the Almighty God and recognition of His holiness, that it had a consistent habit of sidestepping God's word. I'll just leave that alone. I'll set that down. God, your word says this about relationships with other people. I'll leave that right there. I should have integrity in my business dealings, even if no one knows. I'll just leave that alone. Or this is what the Bible clearly says about how I'm to walk in forgiveness with a brother or sister in Christ but I'd rather not, so I'm just not going to do it. They got used to setting the Bible aside. God's commandments are nothing more than suggestions to people who don't believe they live under His authority. But what is clear in the Scriptures is that there can be no assurance of the forgiveness of sins when there is no concern for sin in our lives. 
the distinguishing mark of any man or woman who has done business with God or with whom God has done business with them is that from that moment onward, they are concerned about God's approval alone to love what God loves and hate what God hates, not for an emotional experience or for my personal benefit. The difference between a profession that begins and ends with me and my needs and one that is ultimately concerned for God and his glory. I ask you, dear believer, no, no matter how long you have been a member at Lebanon Presbyterian Church, are you walking with the Lord Jesus? Do you know him? Are you growing in grace? Do you love his word? Are you growing in your love and affection for his people? Do you long for his glory? As the choir sang just a moment ago, they sang about beholding the glory of God, being in his presence one day to behold thee. Job says in chapter 19, I know that one day when my flesh will fail, I will see my God. I will behold him and not another. One day you will meet him and he will either be a savior who welcomes you into his presence to a feast at his table or he will be one as judge who is holy and righteous who will send you away and say, depart from me, I never knew you. So lastly, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. This is the title of a book written by a Puritan named John Bunyan. And I think there are two things about this particular passage that I think are helpful for us to consider as we close what is a, a pretty hard message. I cannot imagine being one of the prophets and continually standing in front of God's people and preaching, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, day in and day out. And that's what Amos was doing. But you see it in this text. It is in the text, even if it might be easy to pass over it. In verse 4, there is a, a note of hope. There is weight that is lifted when God says to his people, Seek me and live. Seek me. It is the way of humility and repentance before the Lord for our sins. It is representative of a living faith. Dear believers, if you see your sin in front of your face, rejoice. Rejoice. Because you would not see it unless the Holy Spirit himself revealed it to you. But the way that we demonstrate our living faith is what he says in verse 14. He says to seek good and not evil that you may live so that the Lord God of hosts will be with you. The way that you demonstrate you have a living faith is by seeking good. Seek God and seek good. That is what your life is to look like. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Lastly, come and welcome to Jesus. It says in verse 15 that there may be an opportunity. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. It may be. I want to ask you this morning. Because I think this is where some of us live. It might be where you live right now. Should we be timid and bashful 
Should we be insecure about the love of God? As you look at your sin, as you look at the vows that you've made before the Lord and you see all the ones that you've broken, should we be bashful and timid before the Lord? I don't know that He loves me. I don't know if I have His forgiveness. I don't know if He called me into eternity today that I would be in His presence, that I would be welcomed at His table. Does Jesus want you to be that kind of insecure? No. I don't believe so. And I do make this statement based on the promise that Jesus made in John 6, 37, where Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. Do you come to Jesus? Then you do so at the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the strength of the flesh. And so if you are coming in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can say, as good reformed people, I have been called, I am the elect, I have been predestined to be in his presence. I don't know why, but I know it's not because of me. And actually, I do know why it's because of Jesus. So all who the Father has given to me will come to me. And then Jesus says those precious words that should ring in your hearts and in your ears. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. He says, the one who comes to me, Not the one who makes noise and big sounds and makes a big show. The one who comes to me in repentance and in faith. This is the one who might come for the first time. I've heard the gospel a million times. But for whatever reason, the Spirit of God moved in me and I saw my sin and I saw the Savior and He drew me to Himself. If you are a first time hearer of the gospel, Jesus promises those who come to me I will not cast away. Or maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe you would say, I've heard the gospel a million times and I've believed it, but I've walked away from the Lord for a time. And I have set him aside and I've set his commandments aside. I've been awful to his people. I haven't been faithful to his church. I haven't lived the way that a Christian should live according to the Bible. He says, even you, backsliding believer, you may come and find welcome in Jesus' presence. He says, I won't cast you out. There will be no judgment upon you because I bore in my body on the flesh, on the cross, in my flesh, the judgment, the wrath of God for the sins of my people. So hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Come and be welcomed by Him and relish in His presence. Enjoy the feast that he lays before you by his grace. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would use your word as you promised to work in our hearts. If there are any in this room today who are are trusting in themselves and not in you, I pray that you would show to them. Show them the ways that their hearts are deceived. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people this morning those who do look to you by faith, that you would encourage them that one day you will end their battle with sin. They will be in your presence and never have to struggle with it again. But I pray, Lord, for all of us this morning that we would have faith in you, that it would rest in you alone and not in ourselves, not in the works of the flesh. Lord, help us not to be self-deceived. Help us to heed the warnings of the scriptures we've read this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together now and turn to hymn number 537 as we sing.
Take time to be holy. take an offering to the glory of God.
Kelly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for pouring out the richest blessings that you have upon us, for blessing each of our families. Lord, we pray that you would take our tithes and our offerings this day, that they might be used for your glory alone, that they would be used for the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in our county, in our state, and in our nation and world that lost souls might be called out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of your marvelous light. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for how you have blessed us and blessed this church. And may we never forget that your blessings are from your hands and not anything that we have earned. In Jesus' name, amen. of our Lord. Now may the God who never abandons you and never lets go of you go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, and make you faithful in your temptations until Jesus comes again. Amen. <laughs>